Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on VSIN. Back for hour number two on the Lombardi line presented by BetMGM. I'm Ben Wilson filling in for the vacationing Patrick Maher back with Michael Lombardi from the East Coast. You can follow on Twitter M Lombardi NFL. Thanks to our whole crew. We got Matt Santos, producer behind the glass, uh, Kevin Dakota downstairs as well. Uh, Rob Moreno, our technical director today. And uh, just a quick update here on the Open Championship leaderboard for those of you just joining us. Cameron Young in the clubhouse, eight under par with Rory McIlroy, tournament favorite, uh, to pre, uh, pre-tournament favorite there at six under par. Cam Smith at five under, and it is McIlroy. Your in-play favorite at plus 350. Scotty Scheffler, three under, one of about 13 guys at three under par. He is eight to one. Cameron Smith, nine to one. And your first round leader here, Cameron Young, uh, at 10 to one. We'll talk more golf later on this hour. Rex Hoggard of the Golf Channel going to join the show in about a half hour. And then we'll close the show with a little crosstalk. Joined by Amal Shaw of Odds On. Amal and Mike Palm getting ready to go from our Circus Sportsbook studio in about an hour. Uh, Michael, some great NFL discussion for us in, in hour number one. Wanted to get into some other uh, headlines that we've seen making the rounds yeah. today here as we start the second hour of the show. I saw this from Mike uh, Garofalo from the NFL Network on the Chiefs and their left tackle, Orlando Brown. Apparently nowhere close on a deal at this point. Uh, they, they say, uh, NFL, at least from Garofalo's sources there at the NFL Network, they don't expect Brown to show up for training camp if a deal uh, is not reached. And, and the questions are now on, on if Brown will even be ready for, uh, for week one there in Kansas City. Well, I mean, I respect Mike and his report, but that, that as an executive in the National Football League, that report smells like it came right from the agent. Mm-hmm. You know, it came right from the agent to basically make the Chiefs aware that they're not happy. Look, it's not a hard contract to do, right? I mean, you're the left tackle. You gave up a first-round pick for him. Uh, you know, he's due to make $16.6 million this season. You know, he's got about eight or nine tackles that make more than him. Ronnie Stanley just redid his deal. His contemporary, he's at 19.7 a year. He's got over 70 million of that guaranteed. So either the Chiefs don't want to go to that number and put him in that category and just want to rent him for a year, or they're asking for more than that and the Chiefs are just saying no. But to me, I think that's the conversation. Are the Chiefs really trying to get it? Because it shouldn't be that hard to get an extension. 
right? You okay. saw Cam Robinson get one at $17.5 million. Jake Matthews just redid his deal at 18.5. I don't know. That's one of the great contracts of all time. Jake Matthews is not a very good left tackle. I mean, just ask Matt Ryan if you don't believe me. You know, so, you know, and then Ronnie Stanley's never healthy, and he got 19.7. So Colton Miller at 18 million is a pretty good deal. So, I, I, I mean, you and I are having this conversation. These are the numbers we're throwing around. It shouldn't be a hard deal to do. Is he better than Taylor Lewan? Is he better than Teron Armstead, who just did a deal, or, or uh, Jordan Malata at the Eagles, who just is – what's a hell of a deal for a 24-year-old, 25-year-old guy at $16 million? I mean, I think, look, the number's got to be 19, 19, 18 million in there. And if you don't want to pay it, that means you don't want to pay it, right? You don't want to pay it. That's the going rate. You know, I used to argue this with the, with owners all the time. It's like, look, you can say it's too expensive, but that's the rate. If you don't want to pay the rate, that's fine. Now, I think that's the conversation. Do the Chiefs just not want to pay this rate? For sure. Well, you would think, too, I wonder how you, you analyze this when you factor in the fact that it is, it's a Patrick Mahomes situation where he's your quarterback. This is a negotiation for his blindside protector in the left tackle spot. Like, how does, how does that change the dynamic, if, if at all, when you know, all right, there's clearly you would think maybe from the agent's perspective we can hold out for more since it's the guy who's protecting such a valuable asset here. How, should that change anything at all, though? Like, what's your experience been like in, in spots like that? I mean, look, it, the whole one thing we've known for sure, the system isn't going to break down in Kansas City because Orlando Brown doesn't show up. You know, he'll probably, you know, they'll move somebody over there, whether it's Niang, who played right tackle last year, or, you know, Christian, the kid they signed as an unrestricted free agent from Houston. They'll put somebody over there, right? And, you know, and look, Mahomes gets rid of the ball so quick. When they first made this trade, Ben, I wasn't sure Orlando Brown could last at left tackle. But what I thought would help him is the fact that they, they get rid of the ball so quickly. That, you know, he's going to have to be able to, you know, in Baltimore, because they were so run-based heavy, you had to play the run as a defensive end against Baltimore and Orlando Brown when he played left tackle. Against Kansas City, you're just going to run up the field. That's a problem for Brown. Right. So, you know, I, I think to me, if I were them, I would do the one-year $16 million deal and see what happens after this year before I extend them. And that, that line expected to be Brown, if at least projected today. Brown, Joe Tooney at left guard, Creed Humphrey at center, and then you mentioned Yang on, on the right side there at the tackle spot, uh, and, and Trey Smith. In general, like this new, new, you know, news and notes aside here with what we're seeing from Brown, are you, you still feel confident, though, in, in the Chiefs' line? We've seen how when they've struggled to hold up in pass protection, things have gone very south for them in postseason games in the past. A lot of people, I know you look at some of the projections around there, still have them a borderline top 10 unit. Uh, do, you, do you agree with some of those projections coming into this year? I, I, I think this is going to be a hard year. I mean, look, Mahomes has got to play better. Nobody wants to talk about it, right? It's the untold secret in the NFL. But their skill players are no longer the same skill players. Marquise Valscanling in Green Bay with the great Aaron Rodgers was a 50% catch guy in terms of percentage of throws to him and catches, one of the lowest in the league. You know, Hardeman's a good player, but he's not Hill. And Schuster isn't exactly a guy that you're going to say, oh, we got to bat. Like, where's the speed coming from? Now, Kelsey's still a good player. But now that Kelsey is no longer with Hill, you can double Kelsey and take your chances on everybody else. It's funny, Whereas too, because – before, when you doubled Kelsey, what are you doing with Hill? Right. 
And now we're in a position where what, what, what will that dynamic become in 2022? I wanted to mention this, too. We'll, we'll do a, a full segment. We have a number of these coming up next, Michael. We're talking the NFL props. You can bet the regular season matchups for these divisional rivals. I'll, let's just knock out one right now because Chiefs Raiders is, is one of the options. The favorite, you can bet on them to split the regular season series at minus 105. If you think the Raiders sweep, it's nearly 5-1 to one here. I know you, you seem more bullish on, on the Raiders. And certainly, they've been getting a lot of buzz in the offseason. But I know you like what they've done, especially on the offside uh, both on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball in the offseason with some really unheralded signings as well. What do you make about the make of this season series this year, considering how in the past Chiefs have had a lot of success against the Raiders? But I know you, you, it kind of seems like you feel like the pendulum is starting to shift a little bit in this rivalry. Well, let's be, you know, let's talk, let's break down. Darren Waller is as every bit as good as Travis Kelsey, no doubt. Maybe better if he stays healthy, right? I mean, Devontae Adams would be the best receiver on either team, Kansas City or, or Las Vegas. Hunter Renfro's the best slot. Of a, so they've got skill players. Now, Colton Miller's a better left tackle to me than Orlando Brown. Alex Leatherwood is a liability at right tackle. And the rest of the line is concerning. I think the biggest concern you have is the Raiders is, are they going to get enough juice out of their running game? Is Josh Jacobs going to stay healthy? You know, I think where Kansas City is the better team is defensively. Kansas City's defensive front with Frank Clark, with Chris Jones, that's two blue-chip players. Now, they've got Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. I thought Chandler Jones was great last year for Arizona. But they need the lead to get them going. They need the lead to get them going. And, you know, are they good enough in the secondary? You know, are they good enough at corner? Hobbs is a good slot corner. You know, Yasin, the kid that they traded for with, with Indianapolis, is Mullen going to be able to hold up? I mean, Abraham is listed as a starter. I don't see it. They, you know, I don't see him starting for mm-hmm. Patrick Graham's defense. I just think he's a liability in coverage, a liability in space. So I, I like the Raiders. I like Carr will play better. Look, one thing, and I've always been critical of Gruden in terms of, of being a head coach, but Gruden got Carr to throw the ball down the field. No mistake about that. Mm-hmm. And he really expanded his yards per attempt. I yeah. think with this situation now, he can do the same thing. Remember last year as well, and it was a Chiefs team that, as you, we've well, been well documented, had their struggles a season ago, yet had the absolute evisceration of the Raiders when they, they came to Kansas City. The Sunday night game where, hey, look, if Deshaun Jackson doesn't get himself completely turned around and just drop the ball in a position where he should have scored a touchdown and said it totally swung the game. Who knows what happens there? But it was, it was interesting to see a series last year where the Raiders had made a lot of improvements on their end, yet the Chiefs end up, end up sweeping them. It, kind of, it felt like it kind of a, the rivalry in a nutshell, right, of what we've seen where over the past decade, no matter what the Raiders have done, Kansas City has still found ways to at least beat them. It's why it would be hard-pressed for me to see the Raiders actually sweeping that this year. But a split feels totally reasonable. That feels like a rightful favorite, at least if, if you're looking should, at that. Yeah. Prop. I mean, and look, let's face it, too. The, the Raiders are a little bit like the, the Bengals. The, the Carlson's one of the best kickers in the league. You know, and I think Josh will do a – McDaniels will do a really good job of managing the game, of understanding situational football. I think a lot of this for the Raiders, are they going to be tough enough inside? Is, are they going to get something out of Kyle Pico? Or are they going to get something out of Vernon Butler and Jonathan Hankins? And then the kid they drafted in the fourth round, Farrell. They got to get their inside defensive line has got to play up high, at a high level. Again, minus 105 is the favorite on them to split. Not that I would probably be betting any of these. These are just, these are like, they're fun props to talk about because we can look at these two teams within the division. But yeah. uh, uh, they're uh, great. Yeah. I think it's going to be so much fun to watch, you know. I think it's going to be so yeah. much fun to watch this year because – and a lot of it, what we're talking about is, are they going to – stay? who's going to be healthy? 
that AFC West, too, as a whole, and it's, it's the discussion we've had in the past year, Michael, and it's why you could, you could make a case, like, from one to four, like, there are four playoff-caliber-worthy teams in that division, and there could be some extremely, uh, extremely tight scenarios that play out, especially in those intra-division games. I don't know if you feel, Michael, like, like if this ends up being a, th- a three-team, uh, three teams could come out of this division to make the playoffs, just given how... I do. Because, I mean, like, you see divisions like this that play out, and they can be uh, so tough where teams are just beating each other up. But even with that being said, and you see the odds on your screen right here. You, you sounds like you certainly feel like we could easily get three, and it might not be the the order of the three on the odds board. No doubt. And, and look, let's face it: when you rank this, what do you do? You rank the quarterbacks, right? You rank the quarterbacks. So, like, you got to be able to, uh, you you know, this 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 depth of quarterback in the West is as good as any division. Mm-hmm. We're watching right now, like in baseball. I mean, the AL East, every single team is is over 500 right now. So it's not like this thing, you know, it's not like this is unheralded to actually see this. That's how we certainly view it'll play out on paper. We'll, we'll actually see if that's how it goes in the AFC West. And I've got three more of these uh, intra-division matchups to throw at you, Michael, after the break because uh, some, some very interesting thoughts on what we'll get in, in some of these rivalry series, including Bill's Patriots, which uh, will, I know Harry just had his thoughts, uh, very high on the, on the bills. Do you think that number's gotten out, out of hand at all with the bills? Or do you think that's fair to laying a dollar 85 price to win the AFC East? I mean, I think it's fair. I mean, look, if they just manage 13 seconds, I think they're the world champions. I think you're right on that. I don't know how you could disagree either because it, that's kind of the reality of what, of what they had to do uh, from last year. Either way, Bills Patriots, that'll be one of the discussions we have coming up next. We'll talk to the top two teams in the NFC East as well and the NFC West. That's still to come as we roll on. It's hour number two of the Lombardi Line. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
It is time to download Nevada's premier sports betting at BetMGM Sports. BetMGM is all of your favorite wagering options, along with in-game betting, boosted on specials, and much more. Download the BetMGM app today and stop by any MGM casino on the strip with your state-issued ID to open an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM's state-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Tiger alert, Michael. He has made another birdie, so uh, just a brutal Uh start. Tiger was six over three. Hey, birdies nine and ten, Michael. As soon as as we came on the air, he decided to wake up. Now he's headed the other opposite way. You know, the scorecorker go. Think about that. You go out one way, you come back. Maybe the wind's behind him. I don't know. I don't have a television in here to watch it, so maybe the wind's behind him a little bit. And a solid on the 11th hole par threes. He's got a lengthy birdie putt there, but no, good looking shot. He's got a chance to get it to a three over chip away. Meanwhile, there, uh, you, yeah, you don't have it on uh, in, in your office there, but Jordan Spieth's ball. They just show this. It is literally lodged in the middle of like a gorse bush and they're showing <laughs> the replay from, from Ernie Els. I don't know if you remember from 2004 at Royal Troon and he literally had to go like, so, like side swipe on a ball stuck in a tree. So that's what Jordan Spieth has to deal with right now. Not an envious position. No, 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 not, not good. But that's the one thing that makes the Open so much, so much fun is because the great ones actually at times look like amateur golfers where their ball ends up. Yeah, that, uh, that, no, that is what, uh, what usually ends up happening. The one mover here since we last updated, Dustin Johnson, very quietly, four under through 14. He's now tied for fourth. And a DJ is, uh, is shooting up the, uh, the live odds board. He's now 16 to one. That is tied for the fourth uh, shortest odds right there. Again, we'll talk next segment. Rex Hoggard from the Golf Channel going to join us, give us his day one observations, what he's seen uh, from, from some of these guys in the late window as well and what to expect going forward. So we'll have that with Rex uh, coming up in a little bit. But let us return, Michael, to some of the props we were just discussing, breaking down these teams within their own divisions here and, and how they might match up in their two regular season meetings. So uh, let's get to Bill's Patriots. This is a matchup featuring your prohibitive AFC East favorites. Buffalo Bills and uh, the New England Patriots. And this is one where the, the odds are kind of split here. Uh, if, you, if you want to bet the series to end up in a split where each team wins one game, that's plus 110. Bills to sweep also uh, evenly uh, evenly sided there at plus 110. Patriots to sweep is 8-1. Uh, is to one. We saw how exposed New England was in the playoff game last year there in Buffalo, Michael. What, what do you expect in the two meetings between these two this year? Well, I mean, look, the Patriots never forced this team to punt in the last two games they played. Since the win game, the Bills had did anything they wanted to do against the Patriots. It was such a dominant performance in both games. The the uh the the game in the game in New Foxborough and then the game again in Buffalo. And so I think to me, unless I see something different out of the Patriots defense, which is missing JC Jackson, I think what changed for Buffalo, Ben, is their approach. When that win game happened and then they lost to Tampa the next week, they, they basically decided to use Josh Allen as a single-win quarterback, and that became deadly, especially in the red zone. And this led them to kind of become almost unstoppable offensively mm-hmm. because of his ability to run with the football and break tackles and play with such physicality. So I, I, think, this is, I think this is a hard game. I think the Bills at, to go 2-0 and at plus 110 I, I think is a pretty good play. 
You wonder too, because certainly Bill Belichick will, in looking at this particular matchup, will will, will try different things schematically, right? But what about the the personnel? Like, do you do you believe, Michael, when you look at the Patriots and you mention how the defense projects to to look this year? Do they have the guys to do what it takes, even with even with the scheme and the adjustments that to Belichick makes? Do they, do they have what it takes to realistically slow down Allen over the long haul over a sixty minute game? Well, the last year they didn't. I mean, last year with Kyle Van Noy, with Jamie Collins and Hightower, they were so slow, and that became a real problem. And, and what becomes a problem, too, isn't that you're slow at linebackers when you're slow at defensive line. You can't catch them. You know, you can't catch them. Now, you know, they improved that a little bit with Mac Wilson, right? So they get a little bit faster with Mac Wilson. But, you know, Judon's got to play at a high, high level. They've got to get more out of their defensive front. Uche, the kid they drafted in the second round in 22 and 20, they've got to get something out of him. Ronnie Perkins, who they picked in the third round. Afridi Jenkins in the third round. Those those three players, to me, along with Cameron McGrowan, those four guys have got to play through, play and really make a difference and, and show that they've got enough speed on the team. I don't think they're going to get as hurt at corner as many people think. But where I think they get hurt is their front seven, their lack of speed there. I think that's got to show the difference. Look, I think they're going to be good offensively. I don't know what, who's going to call the plays, but they've got some good players offensively between Parker, right. Bourne, Jacoby Myers. They, get, they draft the kid Thornton. Aguilar's still there. You know, they've got two good running backs in Stevenson and Harris. The quarterback's going to get better, and they've got two good tight ends. And the offensive line is essentially back intact. We're still waiting to hear who's actually going to be the, the play caller offensively. The one note I would just make on the schedule, if, if for people who actually want to go bet this, because on, on the surface it seems like, all right, it would be tough to see the Patriots uh, winning a game based on what we're saying. But the the second meeting between these two teams is week 18. So if you think if Buffalo has, say, a one seed locked up or if they've got the division well in hand, nothing to play for, that's just the one thing to look out for since they do host New England. Uh, they're week 18. The first meeting will be in Foxborough. That is a, a Thursday night game on the old prime video. Al Michaels will be there. December the 1st, that's week 13. So these teams will not actually square off until pretty deep in the season here. Two meetings in the, uh, in the final six weeks. Uh, in the meantime, let's transition, Michael. We'll go NFC East, Eagles, Cowboys. There's been a lot of discussion throughout the offseason of, uh, of which of these two teams should be the favorite there in the NFC East. It's been the Cowboys, but a lot of movement. A lot of people betting the Eagles there to take that division this year. We saw Miles Sanders come out a couple weeks, say they've got the all-star team there in Philadelphia. Uh, as you would imagine, because of that, the, the, uh, the odds-on favorite here is for these teams to split their season series at minus uh, a buck 15. Uh, do, you, do you feel the same way, that these are two pretty evenly matched teams heading into the year. You know, I, I do think that, but I think my concern about Philadelphia is anytime they played a good passing game last year, they were disastrous. In those six games, Ben, against good quarterbacks, with Brady being twice, there was only 36 incomplete passes in those games. How are they going to improve defensively? Well, you know, they have improved their linebacker position. You know, they're a zone team. They're going to play – they're a zone team no matter how you cut it. Even though they've got Slay and Bradbury, Bradbury has to play zone as a corner anyway. So, you know, I, I think they're going to be able to move the ball. Look, the, Dallas put 41 on them in the last game when they played. The game that didn't matter was when, you know, the Cowboys didn't care and, you know, and, and the Cowboys won 51-26. to 26. They didn't really care about the game. So the Eagles didn't play anybody. They were saving it up for that Tampa game, which they got destroyed in right. the Tampa game. I always love that, you know. So – Anyway, I'm sorry. The Eagles won 50. The Cowboys were saving it up for that game. The, the Eagles won 51 to 20. I mean, the Cowboys won 51 26. So I, I just think to me it's a split type of thing. I don't know if it's a home field. I think they could split it. But I do think that 
that the Eagles and the Cowboys should move the ball. I would say this, the over in both these games might be a good play. Right, and these two teams will face off first Sunday night football week six there in Philadelphia and then week 16 Christmas Eve. That'll be the primetime Fox game uh, from Arlington and uh, and Jury World. Uh, do you worry at all? Like for Philadelphia, you talk about the how they were exposed in the linebacking and, and really more the secondary uh, parts of their defense at times last year. The backbone of that team certainly defensively has been on the line with a guy like a Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham who've been very productive. Do you worry at all, though, with the fact those guys are now 31, 34 years old, respectively, uh, with, with the general depth? Like, where do, you, where do you see the Eagles in that part of the ball with, with the rotational pieces they've got there behind those two? Well, I think they got to get Hassan Riddick to play like he's done the last two seasons. I mean, he's key because he's going to basically take some of the reps off of Brandon Graham. And then Jordan Davis is going to take some of the reps off of Fletcher Cox. And if Hargrave plays the way he did last year, that's certainly a plus. But they add the white kid from the Chargers, who's a really good undersized linebacker who runs the football. I think they're going to be... I think they'll be as good up front as they've been in the past. The key's going to be, can they hold up when they have to play man-to-man? Slays over 30. Bradbury can't, is not a man-to-man player. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can create some matchups with their safety. So, you know, but if they get the lead, look, it's it, the Eagles are all about, they've got to be able to get the lead, run the ball. They keep the ball away from you. And if Hurts protects the ball, they're a hard regular season team to play. They get easier to play in the, in, in the postseason. Think about this. The Bengals last year were one of the better run defenses during the regular season. When it came time for the playoffs, they kind of let the run game get away from them. Only, every team ran for over 100 yards except for the Rams. And they basically defended the pass better because they understood the value of throwing the ball. The Eagles are the reverse. They can run it, but they can't throw it when it matters in the playoffs. And you mentioned, too, right, it, it's going to be a big test to see, especially with so many people backing them this year, what sort of leap, what sort of jump will we see out of the quarter, uh, quarterback position uh, in 2022, at least for the uh, defensive line? You mentioned some of the additions. It's Jordan Davis, Hassan Reddick in, uh, in the offseason uh, ads there, and then Derek Barnett back on the team from free agency. So they have, they have tried, to, tried to bolster that overall rotation that they'll get, uh, and, and we'll see how it works out uh, for Philly. But makes sense that that would be the favorite minus 115 uh, for those two to split. Uh, any quick thoughts? 49ers, Rams, you, do you see a team having a significant edge here either uh, way in that, in that matchup? I think the Rams, the Rams will have have an edge only because we don't know how good Lance will be. I think if Lance shows he's half decent, the, the 49ers defense can get him a split. Plus 380 on a Niners sweep. Rams to sweep 2-1 to one, and then the split there is a juice minus 110 on each side. Uh, Tiger Woods, he's lining up a par putt here at 11, Michael. Come on, he, he's two under since we came on the show. We've got to keep the streak going there for Tiger. Big par save he's got at 11 after leaving his birdie putt about six feet short. We'll tell you what happens on the other side. Actually, yeah. Oh, he missed it. Wow. Brutal. Uh, Rex Hogger, though, from the Golf Channel, going to join us next here on the Lombardi Line. Today, it's the final day of VEASAN's first-ever baseball betting pentathlon. Every weekday show and baseball analyst is making five baseball bets over a span of four days to determine which show at VEASAN is the best at betting baseball. We've already done the total bets. We had an underdog, a favorite. Yesterday was run line. Today, final day, it's a prop bet. The winner is going to be announced tomorrow morning, July the 15th at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific. 
on Follow the Money. As we are back on the Lombardi line, presented by BetMGM. We're not participating, Michael, here the, uh, on the Lombardi line. I'm sure you. I'm sure even though you're not like a baseball better, you could you could have found your way. It's it's a it's a small sample size, Michael. You could you could have backed I mean, away to some AD winners. And, Bill A. D. and John Goulet, they saved me with that one. I mean, they didn't <laughs> want to embarrass me. They didn't want me to foul out in the first day. It was like when I was at the military academy and we would do maneuvers, you know, and I would be the first one to die, you know, like that. They, they didn't want me to have that. They didn't want to embarrass me. <laughs> Try to save you from yourself. I am technically on team primetime action because I'm, I'm hosting that uh, for the five days this week. And we are, we're in a bit of a hole. We're one in three heading into the final day. I think we're second from last. So uh, the, angle I'm, the angle I'm looking at tonight, you, I don't know if you saw this, the Royals. Hey, baseball's got hard now. Baseball's hard to play. It's, it's, it's very, a hard sport tough. to go. Very tough. So the Royals have like 10 unvaxxed guys who are not making the trip to Toronto. So that's essentially like a double A, triple A squad there. And I'm trying to pitch. Like, can we look at like some like alt over out prop on Kevin Gausman, the Blue Jay pitcher, like just go something insane, like Gausman to throw a complete game, try to get like a seven or eight to one type of prop since the Royals are literally throwing a, a, a lineup that would make a triple A team be like, oh, you're throwing this team out there because that, that's the case there north of the border. But I digress. We've, we've got a lot of, lot of ground to, uh, to make up. Unfortunately, Tiger did miss that, uh, that par putt going to break. So he's back. He gives one back, Michael, back to a five over there. He has played uh, now, I believe that was his 11th hole of the tournament. So uh, Woods in, uh, in a precarious spot right now. A couple, couple shifts on the odds board here. Scotty Scheffler gets back to four under. Big birdie for Scheffler at the 14th to get into the top five. And then right as that was happening, Dustin Johnson, he gives one back. So back to three under par uh, there at the uh, through 15 holes. So he, he bogeys his 15th. Still your odds on favorite. And this won't change. Roy McIlroy, three and a half to one, two out of the lead, six under 66 day, day one. Cameron Young, just how about this, Michael, the 10th player ever to hit all 18 greens in an open championship round. And Cameron Young, Cameron Young wow. did that in day one. Now, again, Only these greens are very have large, done it. but that, that just tells you how bad the weather is out there. Right. Oh, yeah. It, traditionally, it's only, it's only one, one of 10 guys to do that with some of the largest greens you see in the world. But Young was feeling it today. He's 10 to 1. I don't know if he can sustain it. He was near a, a triple-digit long shot coming in, but an outstanding uh, round number one for, uh, for Cameron Young. We hope to have Rex Hoggard here momentarily. But uh, in, the, in the meantime, Michael, just wanted to circle back onto that uh, 49ers-Rams discussion we were having right at the end of the, uh, the last segment and looking at the scheduling here for this season. It'll be week four. Rams take on the Niners at Levi Stadium. That is a Monday night game uh, there on ESPN. And then they, they square off again uh, right after – it'll be right after the Rams' bye week there. So week eight, uh, primetime home game uh, there on, on Fox. So you would certainly think the scheduling edge probably on the, on the Rams' side, right, when you look at this uh, for the 49ers, just making sure they, they are all, they're not in the – yeah, it'll be – Niners have a really tough stretch where they go, uh, they go home Kansas City and then at the Rams leading into a bye week. So just keep that in mind when, when you're looking at this. Uh, and as we talked about at the top of the show with the, the Jimmy G carousel continuing and the reports on Seattle now being interested in him, we don't really know what will happen if, if he goes to Cleveland, depending on what happens with the Deshaun Watson situation. But uh, with, with Trey Lance coming out, first year is a full from week one, presumably full week one starter here. Uh, you certainly give the edge to the Rams because of that. What are your realistic expectations, though, for Lance, assuming he ends up being the guy for San Fran? Look, I think Lance has got to learn from what Joe Burrow did last year. I mean, Joe Burrow's, after they lost to the 49ers, only, they only turned the ball over twice over the next eight games, counting the playoffs. If he protects the ball, 
you know, doesn't give it away, you know, makes the plays that are there, the easy plays, and really resides how good this defense can be, that I think they can be a good team. I mean, they've got a lot of key components to their team. I mean, they open up with the Bears. They play Seattle. They, of course, they got to, you know, they get to go to Denver. But a lot of it is is Lance playing within himself, not trying to do more than he's capable of doing. We're not sure what he's capable of doing but not to play outside of it like he did at Arizona where he's trying to force things. And he's trying to throw the ball with velocity on every single play. So, I mean, I'm going to watch him this summer to see if he'll play what I like to call slower. Will he play Mm -hmm. slower but play fast? You know, will he play with control? That's the key. And I haven't seen him do that yet. I'm sure that will be one of the teams you're owning in on in your preseason film room study. What, like, how much are you? I would think for a guy like that, that's a situation you're going to evaluate preseason film with a lot more intensity than you might for some of the other teams in the NFL who have more established starters at that spot or or who have a system that you kind of know what you're going to get out of them. In general, what are you looking at preseason wise? Uh, when, you, when you're doing your film study that you want to see for, for some of these teams that are, A, either in rebuilds, or, B, have a guy like a Lance at such an important spot like a quarterback? You know, look, uh, the preseason, he'll play limited reps. But what he does play, I want to see him throw the ball with anticipation. I don't want to see him hold the ball because it's preseason. The coverages are not going to be very complex. So I want to see him to play with a lot of confidence. He knows when he gets the ball in his hands where he's going with it. One of the things that made Joe Gibbs such a great head coach was because he made the game easy for the quarterback so that whether it was Doug Williams, Stan Humphreys, Mark Rippon, the game all looked the same to him. And that's what I want to see with Lance. Can Can the quarterback look comfortable back there? I don't need him to do elite things. I just want him to execute the offense the way Kyle has. Now, Kyle's not going to show anything in the summer. He'll be in two formations most of the summer. He'll be very generic, very bland. A lot of the work that will happen in San Francisco will happen against any of those teams they scrimmage against, they practice against. Mm -hmm. Then you'll see a little bit. We'll hear some things from there how Lance is doing. But when I watch him on tape, I really am looking for his anticipation. Can he throw the ball with a sense of timing? And not when the receiver's wide open. Right. And not, as a result, I don't know that this is a prop we would be looking to bet. Since, again, a lot of uncertainties there. What will we get out of him? And we'll have a, probably a better idea once we at least see the first couple of regular season games. But his prop, at least, you can bet on this. 21 and a half is his passing touchdowns, uh, Michael, considering he played, well, he, he started twice, appeared in six overall games, threw, threw, threw a five touchdowns to two interceptions last year. 21 and a half, I mean, that, that feels like a pretty accurate number, you would think. If he's, again, that's kind of assuming he starts all 17, though, right? Right. And it's also assuming that Kyle's going to let him go a little bit. You know, is he going to let him kind of keep him tight to the vest? Which I think he will. A lot of it will depend on his confidence level in the quarterback. We'll know that early in the preseason. I think that's a play. Wait till the preseason, see what you see of him, and then go with it there. I'm, yeah, I'm with you on that. And that, that is, I believe, tied for the few. Yeah, if I look at the list here, Ryan Tannehill is the other one uh, who has said it to 21 and a half. And now that's for completely different reasons, right? Because we think, well, maybe Malik Willis, he could be a factor there in the quarterback room. But uh, if you're looking at, at potential unders, you, it makes sense that Lance is so far down the board there at 21 and a half. Uh, it's funny because I think a lot of people, Michael, they look at the Tannehill one and they think, wait, really? Tw- 21 and a half for this guy? But how, like, what would you give the odds on him starting a full 17 there in, uh, in Tennessee? this season oh I think he definitely will but I think the reason his number's so low is because of the big guy behind him they're going to hand the ball off to the big guy behind him and he's going to get the they're not throwing it it's a little bit the opposite of what we talked about you know with Chad Pennington and Paul Hackett and Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett I mean they're going to run the ball when they get it down there 
you know, and, and they're not a big strike plague team. You know, losing A.J. Brown, who's going to make the plays on the outside? You know, Burks, is he in shape to make the plays? Can he make the plays? I think that's the question. Right, 21 for uh, for Tannehill last year. So, again, that, that's right on where the number is at, uh, even though he was at 33 there in uh, in 2020. Uh, in the 2020 season, just drops back to 21 uh, here in, in the uh, in the last past season. That was his age 33-year-old season. So, interesting to what we'll get out of that one. Uh, we didn't do the odds for the for the Colts-Titans for their regular season matchup, Michael, but that, I guess just to mention that briefly, since we're in an AFC South that is presumed to be basically two teams in, in a race for that division where you see the Colts I, last time I saw they were in the minus uh, 105 110 area there on, on depending on where you look on the odds to win that division uh, Titans more in the plus 125 plus 130 range uh, are you are you bullish bearish on either of those uh, of those teams looking at the top two and and given that they've played some really tight had some tight in-season series here in seasons past you know, I, I really think the Colts, I think Matt Ryan's going to be an upgrade. I really do. I like the Colts. I think Matt Ryan's going to get well protected. I think Frank Wright will do a nice job. Jonathan Taylor's still going to run the ball. I think they'll be better on defense because they'll change their defense a little bit more. Gus Bradley, along with John Fox, they're going to incorporate some different schemes within the, within the Bradley scheme. I think they're going to be an improved team. I, I think they're not going to be the Eberflus defense, which is just, mm-hmm. you know, the over front trying to run up the field and drop the spots. I think they'll be an improved team. I think it'll make a huge difference. Yeah, if I'm making you pick for Offensive Player of the Year, Jonathan Taylor 10 to 1, Debo Samuel 10 to 1. Which guy would you pick? I would go with Jonathan Taylor. I really would. You think about Samuel. Will he? How many carries will he actually get this year? He's made it pretty publicly clear he, he wants to have a more of a wide receiver specific role. So uh, makes sense you would look at it that way. Cooper Cup, by the way, just at these odds, twelve to one. Derrick Henry, then fourteen to one, and then a couple guys: Josh Allen, Devonte Adams, uh, eighteen to one. That is in the offensive player of the year market, not uh, not the MVP. So keep that in mind as we go forward. Uh, on the other side, Michael, we're going to wrap up the show. I'm sure this will be some fun. We've got Amal Shaw coming up next. Uh, he is the co-host of Odds On with our. Mike Palm over at the Circus Sportsbook Studio. So Amal is going to join us next. A little golf updates we'll have as well as we close the show. Dustin Johnson is hit one tight in at 16. So he's got uh, a, well, I said it hits a tight, and then it takes a big old roll down a ridge, and it's actually going to be kind of a tough birdie putt. So that's that's the nature of the Open, <laughs> open Championship. You never really know uh, with these guys. But DJ at three under, Scheffler now at four under. Again, the leader, Cameron Young at another. We'll talk with them all, wrap up the show when we return here on the Lombardi Line. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. 
I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks, unleashes the spirit of Las Vegas with BetMGM Rewards. Every time you make a wager at BetMGM, you can earn BetMGM Rewards points that you can redeem for online bonus credits like free bets and risk-free tokens. Planning a trip to Vegas, you can also convert your BetMGM points into MGM Rewards points that you can use towards dining shows and hotel rooms at over 20 MGM Resorts properties located on the Las Vegas Strip and nationwide. BetMGM Rewards is sports betting's premier loyalty program featuring exclusive offers, incredible experiences, and valuable perks when you wager on the BetMGM app. Sign up with BetMGM or log on today to get an even bigger piece of the action with BetMGM Rewards. Eligibility restrictions apply. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're back for the final time. Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi. I'm Ben Wilson. Odds on. It's coming up next with Mike Paulman, our guy, Amal Shaw, who joins us right now. Uh, Michael, you got to understand, this is the perfect person for me to ask this question to, uh, because I saw this uh, this poker hand last night at the, the WSOP main event. Uh, Imran, what's oh, Imran uh, uh, Bahani? Did you see this, Amal? Guy, guy on a flops, t- flops two pair on the flop. Opponent goes goes with a min raise after Bahani checks. Guy goes min raise for I want to say uh, six hundred thousand. And uh, Bohani basically throws his cards in the air, thinking the guy went all in, only to realize he didn't. And he just turns his card over, starts celebrating. One of the most ridiculous poker hands I've ever seen him all. I don't know if you saw this, but, like, have you ever seen that before? It's the most ridiculous thing that you could ever possibly have, have happen in live tournament play. I, I didn't see what happened. Uh, unfortunately, for a lot of people that may not follow poker closely, it might be a little bit more more difficult to kind of conceptualize. But uh, so what was the result of it? Obviously, the guy just mucked his hand or he folded his hand. Well, yeah. So he fl- he flips over his cards and the dealer's like, yeah, the hand's still going like he didn't. You know, you can. Right. That's what I'm saying. That's what. Yeah. Yeah. So he just he left his he left his cards face up on the table. Turn comes. He, whatever, he bets. I think he forced the guy all in and he folded. So it ended up working out. It was just one of the more ridiculous okay. things ever. And I was just trying to picture them all at the table being like, dude, what are you doing, man? And the guy started, yeah, he did all, the ride the pony celebration. He started like running around <laughs> the table. It was, cra- it was crazy. Amal, why aren't you in this? You're so good at it. Why did you decide not to I, play or you've given up your poker no, days? I, ne- I, I, I never play, I never play tournaments cash only. Um, oh, you know, okay. the tournaments take a time. They, it, Take two things I don't have in life, patience and patience. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Michael, when I sit there at the table and these guys take more than 30 seconds to make a decision, my standard line is, hey, can you make a decision? I'm not going to live forever, unlike you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I don't blame you. I'm all, you know, the great thing, what you just said there is, you know, your strengths and weaknesses. So let's yeah. shift into one of your strengths, which is Ohio State football. Where are you mm-hmm. on the expansion into now having UC, UCLA, USC with the potential of Oregon or Washington coming into the Big Ten? 
I think it's good for the Big Ten. I think it's good for USC, UCLA. I think it's bad for the national landscape of college football, and I think it's bad for the other programs in the Pac-12 currently as it sits, the other 10 teams. Uh, for USC and UCLA, I think it'll help them get a little bit of traction in the Midwest. Look, the reality is the best recruits are in the southeastern part of the United States. We've seen an influx of population move to those parts of the country, so it's going to be a challenge still for USC and UCLA to get some of those kids. But I think it helps in the sense that you say, hey, you're from Iowa, you're from Ohio, what are other states? Come to USC, UCLA. You're going to be seen weekly, locally on television. You're going to get an opportunity to play a home game once every two years. I think it becomes an easier sell. I think the same thing can be said from kids from California going to Midwest schools also. Um, I think if you look at it, Washington State, Oregon State, potentially those types of schools are in real trouble here, Michael, because nobody's looking yep. for the Corvallis market or the Palouse market. Um, so from that standpoint, I'm not sure how this plays out. I think we wind up with potentially two to three super conferences does the Big 12 merge with the other conferences? It's going to be hard because once Texas and Oklahoma leave, and even if you bring in Arizona, Arizona State, Washington, Oregon, and everyone else uh, into the Big 12, who becomes the marquee program there from a selling standpoint? Look, Oregon is right now at the forefront because Phil Knight is still alive. Let's say 10 years from now, Phil Knight is no longer there. What happens to Oregon football? Do they still have the same support from Nike? Is that a lifelong commitment? How long does that last? And that's a big question mark I would have with Oregon. UW has had great tradition, but, you know, they've had some problems from a coaching standpoint over the last couple of decades. Jimmy Lake gets fired. Um, Tyrone Willingham, you know, ran that program underneath the ground in Seattle. Uh, so to me, when I look at it, there's a lot of question marks surrounding these other teams. Right. And don't, don't, don't kid yourself. Steve Sarkeesian ran it, too, now. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he, too. You know, Sarkeesian's oh, no, no, no. been the breadwinner. I mean, you know, he's got the Washington job. He turns into the USC job. Now he's at Texas. You can't have three better jobs than Sark's had and not been able to win at any of them. I mean, seriously. I mean, so, but I don't want to, this I don't want to bash Sark today. We could save that for another day when he loses to Iowa State again this year. But the reality of it is, is, is I think to me, what we're looking at is network networks are controlling this. I mean, the Big Ten is Fox. Yes. The the Southeast yep. Conference is is ESPN. And then the other thing that's striking to me, Amal and Ben, I'd like to hear your commentary on this, is the fact that the West Coast teams have no appeal. And so when they're playing at 730 at night, which is 1030 on the East Coast, they're really only playing to one third of the country. And by moving to the Big Ten, UCLA and USC, to me, that was an indication that they can't sell college football on the West Coast. I would agree with you completely, and I think that's always been an issue. Having lived in Los Angeles, I can tell you right now, UCLA was pretty good at the time I was there. It was when they had the um, they were trying to make their runs under Bob Toledo. But um, I, I think there's so many other options. And I think when you look at the entire West Coast, it's a different lifestyle. It's an outdoor lifestyle. People are not as engaged maybe at their, uh, with those types of schools unless you went to college there. And I think it's always been a challenge. You bring up that point. Think about this, Michael. Games end at such late times. It becomes difficult for people on the East Coast. And the East Coast is more of a professional sports town. You go New England. You go uh, uh, New York, Philadelphia, D.C., even Chicago. These are all professional sports towns. Yes, they may follow collegiate sports to a certain extent, but it's about pro sports. And I think the timing of which games are played uh, from a start time is very difficult to sell the Pac-12 to the East Coast. And, of course, 
Uh, Larry Scott and company not getting on the pack. Excuse me, on Direct TV, I thought was also a bad thing for them. Didn't do themselves any favor with, with that with that lack of uh, a TV deal. Notre Dame's no. the other school because with the NBC yeah. contract that they have, you think about the super conferences where they will go. I mean, Amal, they've they've resisted the urge to join a Big Ten for years. I mean, the money's been on the table for them for years. They've they felt like their entity is more valuable as an independent. Where do you see them going? And when all is said and done here with all the shifting. Well, first of all, I don't agree with them on that anymore. Look, how much is NBC paying them? Think about this. Vanderbilt made $40 million more than Clemson and Florida State. When was the last time Vanderbilt was a better football program than Clemson and Florida State? Um, you know, when you look at it, if you're Notre Dame, you play on NBC. Nobody tunes into NBC on a Saturday to watch college football. It, 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 we just don't think about it except for Sunday night football. And then you put Drew Brees, that great Notre Dame alum. Oh, no, no. He went to that other school in Indiana, <laughs> Purdue. And it's like, I just don't get what they're doing there. They need to be in a conference. I think it'll help their recruiting and where they are, where they are long-term. You know, Michael, these guys have not won a national title since 1989. You know, you can't have the type of prestige and cachet in any other sport and expect to be relevant having not won a title in 32-plus seasons. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't disagree with you, you know, and it becomes a problem. I mean, you know, it, it, there's no appeal. I, I agree with you, Amal. We'll see how it goes. I don't know. I and look, the whole NBC thing. Did you see the, uh, the the Thursday Night Football or the Amazon? They're they're now thinking maybe maybe Drew Brees could be part of uh, what was it like a, a studio team? I know you I know you had thoughts on his uh, performance year one there and the whole uh, the whole his whole claim. Oh yeah, NBC didn't fire me. I just I could do whatever I want to do. He basically went the uh, the Kyle Shanahan route on what he says he's doing with his time. Well, that's fine. He can say whatever he wants. We all heard him. It doesn't really make a difference. The other thing is that I have a problem with bringing in Brady and Breeze and some of these other guys. They're not going to be overly critical of players in certain situations. And I think as a broadcaster, you have to separate yourself from your friendships and your relationships. And I give Michael a ton of credit. He calls out a lot of people in the coaching fraternity. Michael's been involved in this thing going back to the early 80s. You know, there's a lot of relationships he, he has, but he calls a spade a spade. And I think if you're not going to do that, you're doing a disservice to the organization that's paying you extremely well, and you're doing a disservice to the fans and viewers that are listening in. And nowadays, people have become so well-versed on football. You know, it's like you're trying to sell them something and nobody's buying it. Be, be honest, be transparent. You don't yeah. have to come on there and say, hey, this guy's an idiot or this, this, and this. But you can say this was a bad decision. You know, Brandon Staley calling the timeout at the end of the game. What was the purpose of that? Maybe the Raiders don't kick the ball. But regardless, it was not a benefit to them. And calling him out is the right thing to do. And I think you yeah. have to be completely transparent. And if you're afraid to do that, then don't take that role. He doesn't need the money. So don't sit there and try and sell us something and, and try and make it sound like you're being genuine and transparent. No doubt. No, I agree completely. I mean, look, we, you, we have a responsibility that people listen to us, to be honest and tell them the truth. Absolutely. That's one of the reasons why football, there's so much, there's such a lack of knowledge between the game and the actual game because nobody's really sharing the information that needs to be shared. Right. It isn't like, it's not like John Madden in the early 80s, like trying to explain what a, you know, what a toss sweep is. I mean, we're, we're, we're way past that as, as football uh, you know, no viewing doubt, as, as an no audience. No doubt. Absolutely. Uh, all, we'll, uh, yeah, what, what do you got, Amal? No, I was going to say, I think we need some signs, something in between, right? Because Madden sometimes would tell you there's going to be a stoppage after the punt. We've only been watching football for 30 years. We know that. Only person that doesn't seem to know that is Les Miles. But the reality of it is, I think most people watching are very well nuanced. I think there's certain things. If they're sitting there talking, hey, this is the difference between a two deep and a three deep. If they're playing a cover two, the reason why the tight end can be very effective is because in a cover two, this is the situation. And if you can explain something like that, I think it would make the fans much more knowledgeable. The timeout after Thanks the podcast. Classic. Thanks Thank so you. much, Amal. Appreciate you, buddy.
Thanks, Ben. Thank Great you, job, thanks ben. All. Michael, thank you as well. We'll see them all here in just a second. On the other side, odds on with Amal Shaw, Mike Palm. Always a blast hanging out with Michael Lombardi. Michael, I'll be back with you on Monday. Can't wait for that. Uh, Michael, back tomorrow on the show as we wrap things up here on the Lombardi line from Visa. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.